Good morning and welcome to our service. It's May the 10th, it's Mother's Day, and we're so glad you've joined us. Come, now is the time to worship. to worship this morning is from Psalm 100. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good, and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Let's pray. God, we come before you thankful for your goodness and faithfulness in our lives. No matter what circumstance we find ourselves in, you are there with us on the mountaintops or in the valleys. Yet sometimes we forget that. Remind us of your promise to always be with us and forgive us for losing sight of you and trying to do life on our own. We need you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. May we never cease to worship you. Amen.
With today being Mother's Day, I thought it would be fitting to sing a song that many of us learned from our own mothers when we were young. Let's bow now in a word of prayer. Our God, we come before you this morning happy to see your work. As we come to another Mother's Day, I grant one that looks very different than last year's or the ones before it. That doesn't change the fact that we are thankful. We are thankful for the women that gave birth to us. We are thankful for the women that raised us. We're thankful for being able to see all that you have done in their lives, all of the strength that you have given, all of the wisdom over the years. Lord, it means more to us than likely we will ever know. And so we just want to say thank you. And at the same time, God, we also want to pray for all of the women out there that wish that they could become mothers, but for this reason or that, it just isn't happening. This time of year can be very difficult for people in that circumstance. Lord, we pray that you will be with them now. God, this week also brought a very different kind of experience as well, with the province just beginning to open up. Lord, it has been an interesting time of trying to figure out how things are going to be now. For some people, they didn't seem to change at all. And for others, way too much. 
God, we thank you that we know that you are here for each and every moment of this. And Lord, we pray you continue to stay with us as we figure this time out as well. Lord, we pray for our different governments as they are trying to weather this storm. While it might seem like they've been getting much more prayer than they ever have before over the last couple months, that's because they have needed every single bit of it. God, we pray your continued wisdom, your continued strength, your continued guidance over the days and weeks and months yet to come. Lord, we pray very much so that you will be seen when we look back at this time a year from now as well. So many people are interested in a way that they haven't been before to see you and your work that you have been doing in the world. And God, we pray that that doesn't go away when we get to the new normal. We pray that that interest will continue to be there. And God, most of all right now, we just want to pray for our town. Something about holidays like this one, they constantly bring our minds back to the other ones that we have lived through, constantly comparing, constantly remembering the better times. Lord, we pray strength for all of the people that are going through a tough time right now. We pray that they know that they are being prayed for as well. Lord, each and every one of these things we want to bring before you. My God, we are in awe of all that you do. In your name we pray this. Amen. I will be reading Psalm chapter 31, verses 1 to 5, and also verses 15 and 16. In you, Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. Deliver me in your righteousness. Turn your ear to me. Come quickly to my rescue. Be my rock of refuge, a strong fortress to save me. Since you are my rock and my fortress, for the sake of your name, lead and guide me. Keep me free from the trap that is set for me. For you are my refuge. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Deliver me, Lord, my faithful God. My times are in your hands. Deliver me from the hands of my enemies, from those who pursue me. Let your face shine on your servant. Save me in your unfailing love. John 14, verses 1 to 14. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, and the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? 
Don't you believe that I am in the Father, and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Good morning, Church. I hope you are cozy in your homes and that this sermon finds you well. My name is Tim Hildebrandt. I am one of the Youth for Christ workers here in McGregor. And today I will be focusing on the book of Judges. Let's start with prayer. Father God, you created all things. You formed our earth, its nature, and us and our nature. I ask that today you continue to form us by renewing our minds and that your truth will be revealed to us through your power and to your glory and honor. I ask that we bear your name well this week and that we continue to obey you as your humble children. Amen. In the opening chapter of C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity, he writes that he finds it interesting how children talk with each other. Some of his examples are worth repeating. You might hear them say, that's my seat, I was there first, or come on, you promised. These small sentences show us that from an early age, people seem to have a sense of what is right and wrong or fair and unfair. There is a strong unspoken understanding of what standards people should abide to, even children. This sense of morality is something that we think is unique to humans. C.S. Lewis calls it the law of human nature. He explains that normally, laws would tell you what something will do when the law is in effect. As an example, when gravity is in effect, a cup pushed off a counter will always fall to the floor. The law of human nature is different, though, in that it tells us what people ought to do. It's not a mandatory law, but rather one that we choose to obey. This is also called decent behavior by some. Things like, humans ought to be kind, considerate, thoughtful, and good. Even though we aren't always, this is what we ought to do. It's in our nature. Lewis goes on to solidify his argument that morality, although in some odd cases here and there, is incredibly similar across all ages and cultures. Although one culture might differ on a small detail, in general they point in the same direction. As an example, betraying someone that is kind to you, like friends and family, is wrong. As a Christian, Lewis also believes that our morality was created and guided by God. God is our ultimate good, our north star, and it is when we sin that we slowly drift off course, degree by degree. I bring this up because when I study judges, I easily come to the same conclusion. Sin changes our heading, and we need to be diligent to stay on course. With that being said, let's begin. If you have your Bibles with you, I would recommend you turn to the second chapter of Judges. I'll be going through the entire book, highlighting a single theme instead of focusing on specific stories. I believe that the way that Israel acts within the book of Judges is a clear picture of how humanity has always acted, even today. There is a literary pattern that I would like to bring to light. It shows that humans continue to fall, and it's only by God's mercy that we are able to pick ourselves up. The book of Judges can be studied in three clear chunks. The first chunk is the smallest, and it is from chapters 1 until chapter 2, verses 5. 
This introduction talks of the continuing conflict between Israel and Canaan's current inhabitants. It shows that the land has not yet fully been conquered and there is still work to be done. This naturally flows into the second section starting in chapter 2, verse 6, until the end of chapter 16. This section is marked by the familiar phrase, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And this phrase is written seven times and it is a useful marker that the author uses to show us that uh, the story is about to, to repeat itself. It's like when you go on a merry-go-round and you see the ride operator every time that you've done one lap. The first time it's used is in chapters 2, verses 11, and is used as a foreshadow for us, which is followed by a brief introduction to the following stories. In summary, new generations of Israelites would forget what God had done for their fathers, and they would do evil things like worship other gods. This would in turn cause God to become angry with them, and he would deliver them into the hands of the neighboring nations. In response to the hostile occupation, Israel would then cry out to God, and God, being full of compassion, would send them a judge who would redeem them. So, to sum it up more concisely, Israel does evil, God punishes them, Israel repents, and God saves them. This pattern might be familiar to some of you in your own homes. God's response to them is very fatherlike, in my opinion. I can remember a few not-so-fond memories when I was a kid that I would get into a bit of trouble, commit evils, so to speak, and my father would punish me. I would then apologize to whomever, whomever I had wronged, and then I was forgiven. So this chain of events continues to happen in Judges again and again and again. Now luckily for me, through my many errors, I eventually did learn, and the pattern eventually did come to an end. As I grew older, I became more self-controlled, or simply less dumb, and the punishments were less severe and further in between. It's cool to see in retrospect how my father's discipline actually worked, even though at the time I'm sure he was thinking, this kid will never learn. But just as children often would return to the same evils even after being disciplined, the Israelites did as well, just on a national level. Like I mentioned earlier, the phrase, they did evils in the eyes of the Lord, is repeated seven times, each time starting a new story on how their evil led to their punishment, repentance, and deliverance by God. But what took me years to learn, the Israelites didn't. Because after these seven stories, these seven cycles, it seems like this isn't just a repeating pattern, a simple circle of events, but it's actually a spiral. And as time is moving on, the spiral isn't moving up into better behavior, rather it is diving into the dirt. We have rather virtuous judges at the beginning, such as Othniel, Ehud, and Deborah, but these digress to some morally compromised judges like Gideon, Jephthah, and Samson. Israel is spiraling. These markers make it incredibly clear to us as readers that the nation of Israel during this time is in complete disarray. They are deprived of strong leadership, confused about morality, and fragmented as a nation. They think that wrong is right, down is up, and backwards is forwards. I would go as far as to say that at the end of the book, they aren't even looking to God for salvation anymore. After the story of Samson, the language switches from they did evils in the eyes of the Lord to in those days Israel had no king, which is a phrase that is repeated four times 
and is twice complimented with, and everyone did as they saw fit. Israel would rather have a king as their rescuer than God. Now, I won't go into the history of the kingship of Israel, which is what follows the leadership of the judges, but I'll just say that overall, kingship did not work for them. Hence, Babylonian exile. Now, I will make the parallel. Perhaps I'm wrong, but I think it's fair to say that the behavior, that this kind of behavior is apparent in all cultures and all ages. Just as C.S. Lewis wrote that there's a universal what we ought to do, there comes with that how we fall short. We ought to always do good, but sometimes we do bad. We ought to be fair, but sometimes we're unfair. And as Christians, we ought to obey God and rely on him for our every need. Yet we look to social media influencers or self-help books to give us guidance on how to live healthy lives. Sometimes we look to the government to correct the social injustices that we see. We turn to our significant others, our special someones, for emotional and mental stability. We seem to be doing whatever we believe is right in our own eyes, whether we think it will make us happy or content or simply feel less pain. Sometimes people even turn to harmful activities, hoping that they will somehow help them in their desperate times. And just as in past generations, when we are without God, we fall into a time of moral confusion and disarray. But let's not get too down on ourselves. We can learn from the past and the present to help with our future. So in this spiraling section of the book of Judges, we have four different roles that are played in every story. The first role is the Israelites, who time and time again commit sin and do what is evil in the eyes of the Lord. We must remember that it wasn't the same Israelites that fell into this pattern multiple times, but it was different generations. The second rule would be the foreign nations. Again, they change from story to story just like the Israelites do, but they are God's chosen form of judgment on the people and seem readily available to bring about punishment. The third role is the role of God. I think it's important to note that God stays constant throughout all of it. He punishes Israel, hears their cries, then shows mercy by sending our fourth role, the judge. The judge, perhaps rescuer is a more accurate term, is God's form of mercy. He raises up one of their own to come and rescue the people. And although the rescuer saves Israel in different ways in each story, the pattern of the story stays the same. I'm trying to make these rules distinct because it will help us understand how to read the story as a story and to see where we fit in it. But first I ask us, how did the Israelite community that was in Babylonian exile hundreds of years later have read these stories? I think this is important to look at because then we'll understand a deeper meaning as to the context of the book of Judges. Maybe they had questions like, why us? Why now? How do we fix it? The book of Judges makes it clear that the punishment that Israel faced, which was deliverance into the hands of their enemies, was because of their sin. They did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They disobeyed. And to fix it, to bring some sense of peace to their people, they also must repent and cry out to God. God is the one that gives mercy and brings about deliverance. He sent the rescuers back in the day of the judges, and he is the one that can save them now. 
Now that we understand a bit about what this meant for them, let us take a look to see if the story applies to us, and if, then how. Out of the four roles that are in the story, it's fairly easy to narrow down which one we fit through the process of elimination. So first off, very straightforward, we are not God. Second, hopefully we are not the foreign nations that God is using to punish the people by bringing them into our lives. Third, I don't believe that any of us have the role of the judge as is described in this book. However much we preach and teach and help others, I don't believe that this is my role, nor the role as the church. I think that as the church we identify with Israel in this story. We often sin, deal with the consequences of it, and then repent and are redeemed. I'm not saying that as a church we are going to face hostile takeover from foreign governments or anything like that, but we are to identify and learn from this story, then we must see that we are Israel. So how do we prevent such a spiral from happening? Well, I'm quite young and inexperienced in life, but I think that the first step is the same as what the Israelites took. Simply start repenting. I don't know if we should start with big things first, or start small and work our way up, and I don't know the best way to go about it, but we need to start. We need to turn from our sins and face forward again. This is one of the basics of Christian life. This can be incredibly hard though, some might even say impossible. How do you forgive someone that has wronged you in a severe way? Well, according to the stories we see in Judges, after repentance, God sends us a rescuer. For them, it was different in every generation. But I think for the past 2,000 years or so, we've had the same one. Jesus. And I think that just as the judges helped the people reorientate their life to God, Jesus helps us change our perspectives and actions so that they point to God as well. Jesus helps us discover what we ought to do and who we ought to be. God is our Redeemer, and he has brought that redemption to us through Jesus. So let's continue to seek him and continue to orientate our lives in his direction, not letting sin pull us off course. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this time here on earth. Thank you for the joys that you have brought to us, the joys of family, friends, hobbies, and work. Lord, please help us. You know our hearts. You know our minds. Please wash away the sin that we cannot. Because you have the power to forgive us. And you have already paid the price for our sins. So please, God, in your mercy, forgive us. Show us new grace today, tomorrow, and forever. Amen. Oh
benediction comes from the book of Romans. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Go now and serve him.